how many years were you in school? Four years undergrad, four years chiropractic. Right. Do the same thing with a PT. Do the same thing with, with anyone who's a medical professional. And yes, you have an understanding. You're taught about the body. Well, the yoga teachers are in three months or something like that. They're not doctors, but there needs to be a greater understanding of the biomechanics. I kept seeing that over and over and over again, and that's why the course is created. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kybert, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. We are sitting down today with Jory Sirota on Muscle Medicine Podcast, and I'm super excited. We actually met in Costa Rica. We did. Like how many years ago? Five years ago? Yeah, four four or five years ago. Yeah, but we've been in the same world for a while, like the yoga world, you way longer than I have, Mm -hmm. the neurokinetic therapy world. And I love that you have fused not only your in-depth knowledge base of yoga and the applications of using it as a therapy, but then also using the muscle testing and neurokinetic therapy to kind of heal people's bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's, um, it's been a work in progress. It's been um, a tremendous amount of fun. And as I'm sure we're going to talk about more, you know, therapy is so involved and it's so important for us to do the tissue work. And it's so important for us to actually give people that kind of attention. It's also really important for us to teach people how to move better. Yeah. Can you give us a little snippet of like jury? The past 20 years. <laughs> the PC version, but not really. I can, but I might embarrass myself a little bit. <laughs> no, but you've, you've studied with some of the greats. Like, it's one thing to do with like a 200-hour teacher training. It's one thing to do a 500-hour teacher training. It's another thing to go to India and train. And then it's another to go to India and train with the people you've trained with. So yeah. can you give us some insight? Yeah, sure, sure. You know, I mean... I began practicing in 1997. I fell just like completely in love. Every aspect of my athleticism, because I grew up, you know, a baseball player and a tennis player, within an hour and a half yoga class got transferred into yoga. And I just began practicing kind of like a madman from the very first start. You know, after that first class, I woke up the next morning and I did sun salutations in my bedroom at like 6 a.m. for 15 minutes. Was it the physical practice or was it the spiritual practice that kind of hooked you? I would actually say more of the spiritual aspect of it. Yeah. Because my body felt great, but I noticed that I wasn't angry anymore. I was able to like interact with people better and my relationships just generally got healthier. So I I stuck with it for that. And And what's your evolution been? With the yeah. Practice. You know, I've been to India four times to practice, probably a total of 13 or 14 months. Each time that I was there, I'm practicing upwards near six, seven hours a day. And I continued that practice. I turned on to Iyengar yoga in 2003. I really fell in love with that. I fell in love with the biomechanical aspect of the practice because that's just the way that my mind works in general and began to take the practice into my clinical setting as well, which I've also really loved. And you were practicing with Iyengar in India? I, okay, yeah. So um, for many years, I lived in San Francisco. Yeah. And I studied with a guy named Manus Omanos. 
And Manuso Manos was kind of considered Iyengar's second son. And to this day, he's one of the most brilliant yoga teachers in terms of sequencing and joint mechanics and therapy. So I spent the better part of 10 years studying with him twice a week and assisting him. And then I went to India a couple of times. And, you know, Iyengar was at the end of his life. I was actually there when he passed away, which was quite an experience. Yeah. So I did have the opportunity to interact with him, but I wouldn't say that I got an opportunity to really practice with him. But, you know, I practiced with him in a room. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <In> <laughs> so how has the evolution into using yoga as therapy? Because I think very much like me was drawn to the spiritual aspect and kind of like filling the soul in the tank in that way. But as it evolves, doing the physical practice, injuries come up, aches and pains. And I think sometimes the students are told, you need to practice more. <laughs> right. And I think, you know, there's, there's a way to use the practice to feel good in your body. And there's two really, really important topics there. One is how I got into therapy itself, you know, which was a very natural process, to be honest. You know, it's like I've been a professional body worker since 1999. I saw that the yoga practice was making me more agile, stronger, more flexible, just generally overall better experience of my body. And I knew that I wanted to bring that to everybody who saw me. Because you know, everybody, I mean, what does everyone want? People want to live happily. They want to live pain-free. They want an experience that's pleasant in life. You know, there's, there's a lot of suffering out there. But then there's this other aspect of, of what you're talking about, which is the amount of yoga injuries that, that happen in the world. Back in the 80s and the 90s, when yoga started really booming in the West, there was a kind of unspoken promise that took place that said, okay, well, listen, the more flexible you get, the better you're going to feel. You know, if you, can, if you can do a split, if you can just jump up and drop into a split, your legs are going to be like agile. You're going to have strength. You're going to have flexibility, virility. And we have learned and learning so much more right now that that's just simply not true. That it's very easy to overstretch our ligaments. It's easy to overstretch our joints. It's easy to, to, to wear down the cartilage in our joints when we have so many repetitive motions over and over and over again. Yeah. And, and like you said, a lot of the teachers in the 80s and 90s, and even now, unfortunately, oh, you have pain? You need to practice harder. No, that's not the situation at all. You need to back off a little bit and practice smarter. You know, and for me, that's where the yoga therapy really comes in because it has potential to give people an experience of their bodies and an awareness of different aspects and parts of their bodies that they have not been able to get anywhere else. And when we can help someone develop the intelligence in a part of their body that they just don't have any awareness of, when they can access points of strength where they just had weakness and didn't even want to touch into we can start to change people's lives, so to speak. We can change their, their strength. We can change their flexibility, but we change it in a way that creates functionality as opposed to injury. Yeah. So how would, you know, if someone, a listener is 
thinking like, yeah, I've taken a yoga class. How is using yoga as a therapy different than going to yoga class? Yeah, completely. You know, it's uh, dependent on what a person's, you know, musculoskeletal system is. And depending on what kind of pain or injury that they have, there is a likelihood that some of the poses in a yoga class are not going to be beneficial. And, you know, due to ego, due to competition, due to human nature, we're in the class, we see somebody doing the pose, we want to do it, we can't do it, we're going to try to force ourselves to do it. There's even times when like, you know, people have more intelligence than that, and they start to back off, and the teacher's like, do the pose, you know, come on. Or let me adjust you deeper into that pose. Right. (laughs) Manually. (laughs) Right, right. Oh, I see you have uh, only, you know, 100 degrees of, of hip flexion. Let me push that to 140. Right. Thanks. But isn't in the traditional practice, ego is a thing to be let go of, right? It, it is. And I think as human beings, we underestimate how strong the ego is. Yeah, true. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you see yoga? You know, you kind of talked about like yoga back in the day and like, how do you see it evolving now? Because it is so popular. And sometimes I feel like we don't need more new yoga teachers. We just need the better trained teachers or the current teachers to be, you know, have a greater depth of knowledge. Amen to that. You know, I think a lot of people are getting more and more hip to what, you know, you and I are actually speaking about that. Hey, we need to practice smarter. More flexibility does not equal better. Strength is actually probably better than flexibility. I mean, it's about a balance between the two. Yeah. But we need to practice kind of within our limits in a way that, you know, allows our bodies to be strong when we're 50, 60, 70, and 80, not just in ways that give us, you know, 150,000 Instagram followers. (laughs) The ego, potentially. (laughs) The ego, potentially, right? You know, so I think people are getting like a lot more turned on to this. And even in the last five years or three, four, five years, I believe that the intelligence of the dedicated yoga teacher is increasing. Yeah. So in terms of like instructing, how does it look different when it's yoga as therapy? So, you know, I think maybe a lot of people's experience is like, exhale, chaturanga, inhale, <laughs> up dog, exhale, push back, downward facing dog. Like there's not a lot of instruction. You know, I remember going to my first yoga class and like looking to my right and to the left just to make sure I was looking in a similar shape oh, like everyone right else's now. bodies. Yeah. Sure. So, you know, with someone that has an increased intelligence and also trains other yoga instructors like yeah. yourself and uh, practitioners, yeah. for someone who's never experienced it, what does it look like or what does it sound like? there's a significantly larger amount of specificity. Our job as yoga therapists is to be as present as we can with the students that we're instructing. You know, predominantly a yoga therapy session is one-on-one. You know, if you got 40 people in the room, you're not really, it changes the vibe a lot. So there's a sensitivity to what the student is experiencing. If this position or motion is causing pain, If they have pain in a particular area and we can either adjust the pose or give them something else that actually removes that pain, you know, in that way, we can sometimes use poses as control tests, put somebody into the pose, range of motion is not great, pain in the hip, yeah, pinches right here, I don't like how that feels, okay, 
That could be because, you know, your femur slid forward a little bit in the acetabulum, or maybe it's jamming up a little bit. Let's do something to, you know, create a little bit of space there, if that's what we think is the issue, and then put them back into the pose. Oh, look, your range of motion has increased by 15%. Do you have any pain? No. So it's this really kind of give and take, not necessarily trial and error, but conscious integrated approach to using the poses and postures as assessments and then putting some sort of stimulus into the body to see if that changes the pain sensation or the range of motion from before. Yeah. So part of that sounds like bringing a stability or strength component into the yoga poses. You know, like you said before, I think a lot of people think it's one big stretch fest. <laughs> to lengthen the muscles and yeah. <laughs> stretch everything out. Yeah. Why is that so important to bring that integration piece into the yoga practice? I mean, it's, it's just vital. As we get older, as our bones deteriorate a little bit, as our muscles don't build as quick, building up that strength factor is important for our longevity. A lot of yoga, and some people won't be that thrilled with me, for, for saying this, but a lot of yoga is doing passive stretching, is doing these deep forward bends, is lengthening the hamstrings, is trying to take the back into a deeper state of extension. And even though that can feel good, even though that can be relaxing, there's an aspect of motor control development that does not necessarily take place with that. And just because we have a particular range of motion does not necessarily mean that we have the ability to control that same range of motion. So being able to integrate that strength aspect into, okay, that's great. I'm so wonderful that it's so wonderful that when I stretch your leg, you can get to 110 degrees. But when you stretch your leg and you only get to 70, that's a big problem. There's 40 degrees of range of motion right there where your hip flexors are not kicking in, are not firing, and you don't have that stability. So the stability aspect and the motor control aspect of the practice helps to kind of bulletproof the body, so to speak, from, from injury. Yeah. And then for people who don't know about motor control yeah. or don't know about it in the yoga practice, can you talk about yeah. that? Yeah, sure. You know, um, in the therapy world, we have two types of, of range of motion that we talk about. We call them PROM and, and AROM. PROM is passive range of motion, which is a range of motion that's assisted by another person or by gravity or by a strap or some sort of prop or something like that. And AROM is active range of motion or the range of motion that the person can actually do themselves. And there is very little, or at least has been very little, ARAM practice in the yoga world. That's just not what traditional yoga was, which is fine. You know, traditional yoga was standing on your head and blah, 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 doing- Folding in half. Folding <laughs> in half, thank you, exactly. Yeah. Let me see if I can uh, put my, my right foot on my left thigh and then put my left foot on my right thigh and go into lotus pose. Well, okay. I mean, yeah, it's a cool pose. But one of the changes that I, I am- bringing to all of my classes for years now, and I think a lot of people are too, is, okay, let's see what your PROM is, but let's see what your AROM is. And if there's a difference, let's teach you how to build that strength so the discrepancy between those two is a lot less. It sounds like also honoring our own limitations in our practice. Oftentimes, we'll see people who are hypermobile 
mm. kind of <laughs> want to just deepen into that hypermobility, but isn't necessarily serving them because then they feel pain after. Totally. Yeah. How do you how do you deal with that? Or how do I you slap them in the face a couple of times? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think you're doing, buddy? You know? <laughs> um, no, it's a big problem because you know when people are hypermobile there is normally also a love for deep, flexible poses. I know. Why is that? <laughs> is that the ego again? <laughs> totally. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, look what I can do. Look how advanced I am. Look how good I am. Great. Well, how old are you? I'm 25. Awesome. Let's talk when you're 38. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and, and this is the problem with, you know, underestimating the ego and this is the problem with the human experience of the yoga practice is we like to practice the poses that we're good at. Totally. And the side we're better at or can go deeper in. Exactly. <laughs> it's really funny, actually. But you remember like years and years ago, there was, there was that movie. I don't even know the name of it, but there was a movie with Madonna. Okay. And she was on the beach and she was a yoga instructor. And she was able to do this, this pose where, you know, you put your foot behind your head. Yeah. And she does it a couple times throughout the whole movie. And, you know, shows how advanced she is and shows how flexible she is. And if you watch very closely, she does the same leg every time. <laughs> <laughs> She's got really one hypermobile hip and one that's stuck. <laughs> has one hypermobile hip and one that's not there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So... Through your own personal experience of doing one-on-one -on -one sessions, you've created a really cool product and tool and training tool. And any yoga instructor, because we see a lot of yoga instructors and a lot of yoga instructors reach out to us with pain, discomfort, struggling with chronic issues. And I'm like, you need to go check out this, uh, this training. Mm -hmm. Mm. you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. I put together a certification course called the Applied Yoga Mobility Certification, the founder of the Applied Yoga Technique. And what it basically is, is it's teaching yoga teachers and anybody who would like to understand movement better. You know, I've had PTs come through the course. I have chiros. I've had a couple of massage therapists, et cetera, who want to learn how to assess joint range of motion, how to work with injury, and how to do it in such a safe way that isn't going to injure somebody, but is actually going to work to stabilize somebody. You know, people have been requesting me to, you know, come to Australia and come to, you know, Japan and come to, you know, and I love it. I, I listen, I, I love to travel. I've been to Japan. I, I took over a yoga studio in Japan in 2015. I loved it. I've taught in Bali. I've taught in a lot of different places, but I can't travel that much. It's, it's a little bit tiring and I've got a nice life here in, in, in New York. So, you know, the course I put online, it takes, you know, people joint by joint through the entire body. It shows assessments of the joints. It shows how to build strength. It shows proper breathing mechanics throughout all the poses. And I'm really just trying to do my job to share the educated experience of being a yoga teacher and how to work with injury and how to make sure that we're doing no harm. It's interesting because I'll see a lot of, if I go to yoga class, see a lot of people go up to the yoga instructor after and talk about their injuries. And it's tricky because yoga instructors see movement 
they read the body. They can't necessarily be like, you have a disc herniation, right? So it's so great to have tools as an instructor to continue to see movement and assess and know how to cue to potentially change that pain that someone's feeling in the moment into a moment that's pain-free. Totally. Yeah. You know, one of my, one of the greatest feedbacks and compliments that I get from the course is people write me and they say, listen, you know, people have been coming up to me for years in my classes and be like, my shoulder hurts or my hip hurts. And what do I do? And, you know, I've been able to tell them not to do the things that hurt, but not give them the tools or the poses or the movements to actually help them. And now that I've taken your certification course, I can do it and people are getting better. I think that's really important because there's something like, I don't know, 32 million people who practice yoga in the United States right now, something ridiculous. And there's a lot of those people that are looking to yoga and yoga teachers for support, both physically and emotionally. Some yoga teachers have the skill set to give that and some yoga teachers don't. And what I hope to do and what this course is doing for people is it's giving them the skill set to work with someone who says, you know, I really want to be in your class, but I have a disc issue. Which poses should I not do? But which poses should I do? Yeah, I think it's so important to know both sides of that coin. I think it's really easy to be like, don't do this, don't do this. Don't. It's really easy to take things out. But then <laughs> it's a whole <laughs> different like thing. Nothing else left to do. <laughs> um, right. Thank, thank you so much. So I'm supposed to do a child's pose for an hour and a half. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Legs at the ball. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when you were creating this course, were yoga instructors coming up to you? Because obviously you've been teaching around the world for a while, but were they coming up to you sharing their struggles as an instructor or sharing kind of like their pain points? You know, honestly, um, they weren't. Mm. It was more along the lines of something I kept seeing as a continual theme. You know, I, I would teach at teacher trainings, and uh, I would watch to see how those teachers would teach once they're out of teacher trainings. And I would say, you know what? That's great that they know how to go and sequence a class, but I see how much they're still struggling. I see the... And I don't, want to, I don't want to label yoga teachers as this, but I see the insecurity there because their training is, is, was only a month. You know, yoga teacher trainings are a month. Some are three months. You know, the one that I went through was three years, and that wasn't even enough. You know, and, and you compare that to a chiropractor. How many years were you in school? Four years undergrad, four years chiropractic. Right. Do the same thing with a PT. Do the same thing with, with anyone who's a medical professional. And yes, you have an understanding. You're taught about the body. Well, the yoga teachers are in three months or something like that. They're not doctors, but there needs to be a greater understanding of the biomechanics. I kept seeing that over and over and over again, and that's why the course is created. Cool. So you also are instructor for neurokinetic therapy. Mm, How have you kind of shifted how you teach now having that background, and how has it informed your current course. Yeah, of course. Thank you. You know, and, and that just, that just comes a hundred percent to motor control. You know, when I first started, when I first took NKT in 2009, the concept of motor control was quite foreign to me. Okay. Motor control, it originates in the brain. There's something with the cerebellum and gets sent through the spinal cord and then gets to the peripheral muscles, but okay, tell me more, you know? So I started seeing that people aren't, 
necessarily generating motor control. They aren't. When I say motor control, we know that we talked about the, the active range of motion. We know that we talked about the ability to control a joint. But when someone has really functional motor control, they have more stability. And with yoga's potential to destabilize the body with all the stretching, once taking NKT, once really incorporating NKT, and now for the however many years I've been teaching NKT, the understanding to me that, yeah, we need some passive stretching. It's great. It helps the mind relax. Just getting us into the bodies is great. But unless we're doing something to you know, generate that strength, the practice is severely incomplete. What are some common, if you're going to think of like two or three common things that you see, maybe you're going to a class and <laughs> just eating away at your heart while you're <laughs> a student in class seeing the other students practice. Like, is there certain things that you see? You're yeah. like, oh, I wish that instructor would go over and correct that. What are some common things? Yeah. Well, now you're, you're asking me to go back to like 2008 because it was so painful. I couldn't even get to a class in the last 11 years. <laughs> that's okay or just like you know what do you see yeah. um yeah maybe cueing that could be better yeah yeah, yeah. The, the biggest thing that i see is in a lot of the vinyasa classes and a lot of the ashtanga classes they're so fast-paced and the teacher is not giving cues like you say exhale chaturanga inhale up dog exhale down dog inhale step forward exhale forward fold inhale there's no education of joint positioning. Yeah. So, right? So students are doing these poses and they're really putting intense stress on their joints because of, you know, the increased angle that, let me say increased unhealthy angle that they're putting themselves through. And they do that over and over again. And that's how we wear down our joints. That's how the cartilage gets evaporated. I don't know the word. It's whatever. Worn down. Yeah. Worn down. Yeah. So you've struggled with injuries. I have. Do you want to talk about how you've used yoga as a yeah. therapy to heal yourself? Yeah, sure. I think sure. it's a powerful story. Yeah. Well, in 2013, I got back into playing ultimate frisbee. I played competitively for Florida State back in the day. I traveled, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I actually stopped playing ultimate after my second year because even at 18 and 19 years old, it was so hard on my body. Well, Ow. 2013, I was like, man, I missed it. I want to play again. And I got into it. And uh, in the fourth or the fifth game, I jumped up. I landed wrong. I tore my ACL. I tore my MCL. I tore my both meniscus and the right knee. I mean, it was, it was a massive injury. And I remember like the next day, you know, because your knee is stuck at 45 degrees. I couldn't move my knee. I couldn't weight bear. I couldn't walk. I had friends coming over to make me breakfast and stuff. And I, I remember feeling like, wow, I am... I'm really out of my league in terms of rehab. You know, I'm not sure what to do. And, and then very, very, very quickly, I realized that I wasn't. I realized that I can just apply the same principles of joint mechanics and kind of touching into where my own personal limit was and seeing if I can push that in a way that's actually helping me with therapy as opposed to just destabilizing me. So I was able to return back to work after three weeks. Wow. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah. And on my feet doing, you know, 20 sessions a week or something like that and feeling pretty darn good. And I did have the surgery and, and then I rehabbed the surgery. But 
I realized probably the most important thing in my entire therapy experience, which is our pain, physical pain, predominantly comes from our joints. And if our joints are not mobile and not functioning well, then the surrounding muscle tissue is going to compensate. We're going to develop faulty movement patterns. We're going to walk funny. We're going to stand funny, all sorts of things like that. So when we can access the joint mobility and create functionality in that, yeah, you got a tight hamstring. Let's talk about our hip. Let's talk about your knee. Let's talk about your ankle. Let's look at those joints above and below to see how they're moving and how stable or loose or whatever they are, then when we can do that, that's when we start to actually help people get a lot better. Cool. So it's really like a joint focus and then balance around that. It really is. That's how I create stability in, in, in the people who come see me. Yeah. Have you had like a really cool transformation of someone who came to see you really struggling and then use the principles of what you teach to really transform and feel good in their body? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Um, I recently had somebody come in, a, a young man, he was 42. And he said, you know, my back hurts, my hip hurts, my knee hurts all on the same side. And, you know, I probably have to have a hip replacement, you know, or I have a torn labrum or whatever it was. And okay, well, maybe he does. So I started putting him through the ranges of motion and he had fantastic range of motion. He had 80 degrees of external rotation of his hip. He had 25 degrees or something of internal rotation, which I'm perfectly fine with. What so many people do when they feel pain is they say, oh, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to make it worse. And so they just stop moving altogether. And that was his situation. He had been having pain for six weeks or something. He hadn't seen anybody and he hadn't done anything. And of course, as you know, we know, a lot of times when we do nothing, nothing happens. <laughs> or there's muscle atrophy. <laughs> exactly. All that yeah. stuff. Yeah. So based off of my assessment with him, I didn't think he needed a hip replacement at all. I didn't think he had a torn labrum. And we just had to put him through different joint mobilizations. Now, let's talk about yoga just for a second. Because a lot of people, when they think about yoga and yoga classes and yoga postures, they think just of the postures. They think just of what in Sanskrit we call asana, which translates literally into seat, but it, it, it means posture. That's not my perspective on yoga. For me, yoga is anything that involves movement, awareness, mindfulness, and breath. When we can combine that, then we're actually doing yoga. You know, the yogis say, if you read any of the texts, there's 84,000 yoga poses. Well, <laughs> you know, you're going to be hard pressed to sit anybody down and have them name 84,000 yoga poses. But what that means is you can put your hand on the table and lift your index finger. And if you're focused on the sensations in your index finger and focused on the physicality of it, the energetics of it, really bring your awareness, you're doing yoga. So when I see somebody for yoga therapy, I'm not just putting them into warrior pose or triangle pose or half moon pose or something like that. I'm having them move their joints through ranges of motion and seeing where they can move and where they can't move and then making changes from that. With this gentleman, it probably took about four or six sessions, something like that. But uh, he's back out there. He's playing softball. Well, it's 
this was a couple months ago when before all the snow was on the ground, but he was playing softball and he's feeling healthy and strong again. Love it. So where can people find you? Oh, yeah. My business is called Applied Yoga Integration. So you can just type in Applied Yoga Integration and uh, I'll come up. That's the Facebook page also. You can also type my name, uh, Jory Sirota. You'll automatically get directed to Applied Yoga Integration. And that's probably the best way to find me. So Facebook, are you on Instagram? I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm less active on Instagram. Yeah. It's hard to maintain two social medias. It is. I hear you. You know? And then if people are interested in the, the course, how can they find that? Yeah. In the course, you can just hop right onto the website. It's listed right there. And uh, if anybody has any questions, um, if they're curious about the course, if they want to know if it's for them, there's a contact button on my website. And uh, I normally am able to respond to people within 24 hours. Yeah. And would you say it's more directed towards the practitioner or kind of like the general population or both? Uh, the course itself, you mean? Yeah. You know, the course itself can actually work for the practitioner, like the, the therapist, the yoga teacher, um, or the, the clinical therapist, or it can work for, you know, a yoga practitioner who is just wanting to work with their own injuries and, and understand uh, the practice better. Yeah. You know, it's not that you're going to join the course and you're going to take a 45 minute class. That's not what, what this is at all. But you're going to join the course and we're going to break down everything about the hip. And then you can learn to apply that to yourself to work with, with your own therapy. I've had several students, at least 10 or 15 in the last six, seven months who are just yoga practitioners who wanted to take the course just to get more understanding. And they have just given rave reviews about it. And like, we understand everything, the way that you speak, it seems like you can speak to a doctor or to somebody who knows nothing. So I love it. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. I love hearing your yoga evolution and how it's come to be this really increasing our own body's intelligence and our own like depth of awareness and knowledge. It's so cool. Thanks, Emma. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me today. 